friends, welcome to Log On at 11, Spurgeon Baptist Church's online presence during this COVID season. Uh, we're going to follow what has become our normal pattern. We're going to use a little liturgy just to hold our service together. Uh, if you've got a print copy in front of you, everything in bold type is what we say together. Everything in light type I shall say on my own. If you're following on the screen, everything in yellow type is what we say together. So let's begin. In the beginning, before time, before people, before the world began, God was. Here and now, among us, beside us, enlisting the people of the earth for the purposes of heaven, God is. In the future, when we will have turned to dust, and all we know has found its fulfilment, God will be. Let us pray. Loving God, you are faithful, just and forgiving. Help us now to grasp the greatness of your love. Where we have failed to love and loved to hurt, forgive us and heal us. Where we have scorned difference and have been indifferent to those in need, forgive us and heal us. Where we have spoken harsh words to others and have been quick to take offence ourselves, forgive us and heal us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God. Will you please make your people stop shouting? <laughs> if they weren't shouting, the rocks would start doing it. The scriptures say my house should be called a place of worship. But with you selling animals to sacrifice, you have turned it into a den of thieves! Hosanna! Hosanna to the son of David! Don't you hear what these children are saying? Yes, I do. Don't you know what the scriptures say? Children and infants will sing praises. That's um, hardly he. Hey, <laughs> gotcha. He has to go. But we can't arrest him in front of the people. He's too popular. We can't arrest him in private either. 
We don't know where he'll be. Then arrest him at night when he's alone. There are so many fools who follow him. It wouldn't be hard to slip one of them some money to let us know where to find him. Perfect. What will we arrest him for? We'll find something. Genesis 33, verses 1 to 20. Jacob meets Esau. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, Esau? he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and the children approached and bowed down. Next Leah and her children came and bowed down, and last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, What do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favour in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favour in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favourably. Please accept this present that I brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, Let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are tender, and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant, while I move along slowly at the pace of the droves before me, and that of the children, until I come to see my Lord in Seir. Esau said, Then let me leave some of my men with you. Why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favour in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth. After Jacob came from Padam Arman, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Amor, the father of Sechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elore, Israel. Genesis 33, uh, the conclusion really of our uh, story at the Jacob saga I mean, it, to get the the full 
ending, you really need to read Genesis 35. I'll, I'll make reference to that when we get to the end uh, of the sermon. But this really, uh, this meeting between Jacob and Esau, this is the climax of the story, really. Uh, they've been apart for over 20 years. Uh, we remember that their parting was less than amicable. Uh, there was shock and distrust and anger and malice on Esau's part. And there was fear on Jacob's. Uh, how is this going to end? Well, it ends in reconciliation, doesn't it? Uh, although maybe still a little fearful, Jacob knows that he must face his brother if God's promises are to be fulfilled in his life. Just as he had faced God during the night, the previous night, he would face his brother during the, this day. During the long night of struggle with God, he had come to a new understanding of himself, of who he was and where he fitted in the scheme of things. But I guess he must still have approached this meeting with some fear and trepidation, even though he'd come through the experience of the night uh, with a renewed vision and hope for his future. God doesn't always take away fear, I have discovered. Um, but he does give us strength and courage to face the future, his strength and his courage. He stands with us in whatever that future may hold. Jacob has made all sorts of preparations for this moment. You'll remember uh, he sent on gifts of livestock and so forth and finally divides the children up among the women and then goes out to meet his brother alone. He doesn't shield himself any further, uh, but he goes out ahead of the rest to meet his brother and he bows down uh, a gesture of humility and he makes himself vulnerable uh, to his brother. It's Palm Sunday today, uh, a day when we celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, uh, riding on a donkey. Uh, so the, the imagery of that would have been powerful uh, for all those in Jerusalem at the time, because effectively this is how a king enters a city when he's coming in peace. He doesn't enter on a war horse, he comes on a donkey, um, signalling his intent is not to make war, uh, but to come with peaceful intent. Uh, and everybody's shouting and everybody's thrilled and everybody's pleased. But a week later, the story will be different, won't it? Uh, Good Friday, the most sombre day of the Christian calendar, probably the holiest day in our year, where Jesus is mocked and scorned and beaten, falsely accused and then nailed to a cross to die. Jesus makes himself vulnerable. Um, from the moment of the incarnation, in fact, he makes himself vulnerable, coming into the world uh, as a baby and then, you know, experiencing all that we experience, being happy and sad, uh, elated, tired, thirsty, grieved, in pain, 
the cross. And the cross, of course, is where we find all of our reconciliation. It's where everything is done. It's the gateway to a new life. It's the gateway to a new start for us. It's where our hope is, you know, in this death and resurrection. Because, of course, uh, whilst Good Friday is probably the most sombre day of the Christian year, Easter Sunday is the most wonderful. Uh, and the two belong together. So Esau rushes to greet his brother and embraces him. Uh, interestingly, you know, one catches uh, shadows of the story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son in this. The father, when he sees his son far off, runs out to greet him and just gathers him up in his arms. I mean, really, he should be berating the boy. He should be uh, shunning the boy, but no, there'll be none of that. Uh, and Esau, you know, Esau's got 400 men, don't forget. Uh, but he comes with peaceful intent and he comes ready to be reconciled. All the bitterness and the resentment is gone as Esau, the injured party, forgives in this gesture. The barriers of resentment, hatred and fear are swept away as the two are reconciled. This only happens because Esau is willing to forgive. If he had not been willing to forgive, well, it would have been a very different story, wouldn't it? Uh, for Esau, though, the past is over. Uh, jealousies and anger are no longer the motivation uh, for what he wants for his brother. And we know that's very different because at the time he was tricked out of his birthright and blessing, uh, he was breathing murderous thoughts, wasn't he? I will kill my brother Jacob. He's not the same man he was 20 years ago. Life has moved on and clearly so has Esau. Esau and Jacob are reconciled after long years apart, years which clearly have been fruitfully used by God. We have followed Jacob closely. We've seen how he has been formed and shaped over these years. Um, when we leave Esau, he's breathing out murderous threats against his brother. Uh, as we're introduced to him again, this part of the story is greeting his brother with a loving embrace. Clearly, things have happened to him too. Jacob has to stand alone and face his past with all of its lying and cheating and double dealing. Um, this is really his day of reckoning and it comes out right for him. One day you and I will stand alone too, we'll stand before God uh, and he will demand uh, an accounting and we will have to account uh, for what we have done and who we have been. How will that come out do you think? Well, if you know the Lord Jesus, if you've accepted him as Lord and Saviour, if you've confessed your sin, repented of it, stopped living selfishly and lived with him as the centre of your life, if you've loved God with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength and loved your neighbour as yourself, it will certainly come out right for you.
You have no need to be worried. You have no need to be anxious. You have no need to be afraid. All will be well and all manner of things will be well for you. Uh, we remember that this is ja this is not Jacob now, this is Israel, new name, uh, new man. Uh, we need to remind ourselves that this is a different person. Uh, however, some of the old man, the old person, is still there. There would have been tremendous relief on Jacob's part at the way in which he'd been received. Uh, it would have been easy enough to have linked off uh, to have linked arms with Jacob and walked off into the sun with sorry to have linked arms with Esau and walked off into the sunrise together all living happily ever after uh, but Jacob refuses Esau's offer to go with him to see him and he makes um, some excuse well he, he says you know well the children are young and I've got all these livestock with their young and you know, we, we just need to go slowly and be a bit careful. But the fact of the matter is he's going in a slightly different direction to his brother Esau. It's not time uh, for them to be together in that way. Um, but he doesn't tell him that. And you just wonder, are there shades of the old man? Are there shades of Jacob in here still? Um, when we're converted, when we become Christians, we are new creations as Paul says in the New Testament, the old has gone, the new has come. Having said that, there are pockets of resistance. Um, sometimes uh, people will talk about Christianity uh, as, uh, you know, in terms of battle or warfare. You know, the war is won at Calvary. Now we're into mopping up. Um, the fact is that although we are new creations, the old person still rears up from time to time. Paul talks about this. He describes uh, opposition to our being new creations in terms of, you know, opposition in terms of the world, the flesh and the devil. Um, our fleshly self sometimes does just rise up. Um, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And there is a school of thought, it's quite an old school of thought, that says, well, once that happens, when we say yes to Jesus, then we are perfected at that moment and that uh, we are no longer sinners or capable of sin. Uh, I've been around long enough to know that that is not true. Uh, experience teaches me, and it will have taught you too, I suspect, uh, that that is not the truth. The scriptures actually back that up. Paul's letters to the churches uh, are full of admonishment against uh, sin. Uh, he writes against idolatry, immorality, impurity and so forth. And he's writing to the churches. Uh, read his letters to the Corinthian church, particularly, uh, or to the Galatian church. And you, you just find it's, you know, it's everywhere. So, you know, this notion that we are somehow perfected whilst we're still in the body is, I think, erroneous. Um, John, the apostle, um, is clear about the prescription for curing those that sin. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, which we use at the end of our prayer of confession and repentance in our little liturgy. Um, he's writing there to Christians 
who may have succumbed to temptation, um, who may have just fallen by the wayside. We will all do that at some stage. The reassurance is that we are not damned because of it. Confession brings restoration. And that's what we need to remember and we need to recall. The Holy Spirit does come and live within us when we uh, say yes to Jesus. And he does begin to do that work of sanctification. He begins to make us more like Jesus so that we reflect Jesus and are conformed to the image of Jesus. But this takes time. So that perfection is living within us and is at work within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's doing his work to bring about that transformation. But uh, we are a work in progress. So the work is not finished yet. And friends, it will not be complete this side of glory. Uh, there will always be something in you, as indeed there is always something in me, which seeks to spoil. Uh, and it's only by being constantly vigilant and by coming back uh, to God the Father regularly, uh, seeking forgiveness, offering confession, repentance, seeking forgiveness. It's only by doing those things that we will be able to live in the fullness of what God has for us uh, and become all that he wants us to be. So we should always come with humility, really, uh, acknowledging the truth about ourselves. Uh, Jacob moves on to Shechem. He buys some land. He raises up an altar and he calls the altar. God is the God of Israel. Up until now, God has been the God of my father, Abraham, the God of my father, uh, Abraham and Isaac. There's always been an element of testing, of trying this out. If you will do this for me, then you will be my God. We saw that back at Bethel you know, in the first instance uh, where God revealed himself more fully to Jacob. You know, in, in that vision, in that dream, while he was asleep with the angels ascending and descending on the ladder. Surely God was in this place and I was not aware of it. Um, and there, you know, if you will do all the things that you've said to me, uh, for me, then I, you know, you will be my God and I will be uh, your servant. Here, there's no... Uh, there's no provisionality at all. There, there's a thorough commitment. Uh, Israel Jacob is binding himself to this God now totally and completely. God is the God of Israel, Jacob. God is the God of Israel. Um, he's been on a journey, we know, physically away and now coming back, but also spiritually. And that is absolutely clear. You know, from the moment God encountered him at Bethel in that first instance, all the way through, you know, and Jacob has been aware of God's hand upon him, even though uh, God has not been at the forefront of the story. He's not been right front and centre all the time. He's been that background presence. You know, Jacob acknowledges that he has been blessed, that God has provided for him, you know, in, in all of his... Uh, tricky encounters with Laban in, in all of the 
manoeuvring that both parties were doing to try and outwit the other. Uh, Jacob acknowledges it's only because the God of my fathers has been with me that I have anything at all. If it had not been for him and for his oversight and care of me, I would have nothing. We saw that, didn't we, two or three Sundays back, uh, when Laban was finally relinquishing his hold over Jacob. So it's been a, you know, a physical journey. It's been a spiritual journey for him as well. Um, and his home is where he began with his brother and his mother and his father. And his spiritual home uh, is with his father's God. And he's recognised that now, and he is fully cognizant of that. He fully embraces that fact. Uh, and he can look forward now to a life lived in the presence of this God. I mentioned earlier that, you know, the end of the story is actually Genesis 35. Genesis 35 is a sort of bits and pieces chapter which just tidies up all of the loose ends. Uh, in 35, God takes Jacob back to Bethel, where he first revealed himself to him. He re reiterates his new name, Israel, uh, and he also reiterates the promises that he made in the first instance at Bethel, that he would have land and that he would have descendants. Uh, Rachel, his wife, the wife whom he loves, you recall, uh, she dies in childbirth having Benjamin, uh, which is a great sadness clearly to him. But it helps you to know that when you go on to the next part of Genesis and the next story, which is the story of Joseph. Joseph and Benjamin are the two children, the two sons of Rachel, uh, whom Israel loves. Uh, so when Jacob you know, disappears. Sorry, when Joseph disappears uh, and uh, is told, uh, you know, and father is told where well, he's been killed by wild, wild animals, he's absolutely devastated. And then later, when Joseph is uh, in his position of authority in Egypt and he's he wants to see his brother uh, and he says, you know, bring your brother. And the other brothers say, well, you know, we can't because he's the only one left to our father from from the wife that he loved. I mean, it makes all of that clear to you. You can see why this is so important. Um, but that's another story and for another day. Isaac dies. Uh, Esau and Jacob's father, Isaac, dies. And this is noted in chapter 35 and there is in verse 29 of that chapter it says um, Isaac dies and his sons Esau and Jacob bury him. The two brothers are properly reconciled. There is nothing between them anymore. They are able to perform those last offices of love for their father who it says is old and full of years. He's come to the end of a satisfying and fruitful life uh, and his sons are able to bury him. They're able to be united 
in their love for him, in their grief together. And they're able to do that thing that all families need to do uh, when a parent's life comes to an end. So the story of Jacob, we've seen it from the very beginning when they were in the womb together, he and Esau. Uh, we heard the oracle. Uh, we, we've seen how that has been worked out over the period of Jacob's life. We've been aware of God's presence with him, that mysterious, quiet presence. Um, we've seen those occasions when God has made himself clearly known. Uh, we've also watched as Jacob has continued to try and work things out and make things right and make things happen. Uh, and ultimately, uh, we've seen the end of the story as he's confronted the mysterious God in the wrestling overnight and has been reconciled to his brother once again. It's nice to see, isn't it, the whole thing, to get the whole sweep. Uh, thank you for being with me throughout this period. Easter Sunday next week. Looking forward to that. Hope to see you then. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you once again for the privilege and responsibility of intercessory prayer, prayer for others. We begin by looking out to the wider world, indeed to the other side of the world, to Australia, where floods are having significant impact in Sydney. We pray for all those who have lost property, livelihoods, business, loved ones. We pray that you would draw near to them and help them. Uh, in our own country, uh, we pray for all those who are working with uh, the military. Uh, there's been a big security and defence review, big shake-up uh, that inevitably means that some people are fearful now that their jobs might go, both those that wear the uniform and those that support them, uh, civil servants and contractors. And we know that there are a, a number of jobs that are in jeopardy now in our region. We pray for all those that work for Lockheed Martin in Amptill. We pray for those who work for marshals in Cambridge, significant defence contractors. Uh, these folk are now looking at an uncertain future. We pray for all those uh, who wear the uniform. We particularly want to lift up before you Liam as he thinks about his future and what he might do. Uh, we pray that he might be able to do what he wants to do uh, and that he will be enjoying his life. Uh, as he trains up uh, in Harrogate. We continue to be thankful, Lord, for the vaccine rollout in this country. It's a year now since this began. We could never have foreseen that we would be so long in these difficult circumstances. We're very conscious of the deaths and the bereavement that has happened because of this. Forgive us for being impatient. 
with those around us. Forgive us for not being self-forgetful in our concern for others. We're grateful for everyone who works in the NHS. We're thankful for the other key workers. We stand amazed at the way schools and teachers and children have continued to find education in the midst of these circumstances. We're thankful for all that scientists and researchers are doing. Grateful that the manufacturers of vaccines have been able to ramp up production and will continue to do that uh, for the foreseeable future. We're thankful for all those logistical experts who've managed to deliver vaccines in such numbers to so many different places in our country and indeed around the world. We are thankful, Lord, for all the good things that you are providing in the midst of these difficult circumstances. We pray that you will help us to be patient. We can see an end in sight in our country now. Uh, help us not to ruin the progress that has been made. Remind us that this is not just about us. It's about everyone everywhere being safe so that life can take on a, a more open shape. We look forward to the times when we can meet together once again, when we can worship together, when we can sing, when we can hug, when we can shake hands, when we can speak face to face. But help us to be patient, Lord, we pray. We pray for our friends, for Chris, Ken, Adrian and Hugh, Eric, Les, Dot, Margaret and Bob, Peter, Jesse, Dennis and Shirley, Mary, Jay, Terry, Lynn, Graham, Lauren and Lewis, Andy, Thelma, Naomi. Be all that our friends need in these days, we pray. We gather up all of our prayers as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We say the canticle together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honour all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, rest upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.